I want to have that where we can find the resolve together. And I'm going to have you back, even if I disagree with you. If you're true to your beliefs, I'm with you 100%. Joe Ceresi was elected to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's House of Representatives in 2018. He represents the 146th Legislative District just outside Philadelphia, Spent 12 years on the Spring Ford Area School Board, 11 years as a board member of the Western Montgomery Career and Technical Center, including three years as their chairperson. He's the son of first-generation Americans who, as he talks, never had the opportunity to go to a four-year university. I wanted to talk to Joe because, you know, on this podcast, we talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different, uh, you know, backgrounds, not just authors who... Uh, and academics who study the issues around labor, but we've talked to corporate executives, we've talked to managers, we've talked to employees, we've talked to startups, we've talked to coaches, and the policy leaders are always my, the conversations I, I look forward to because there's so much government can be doing to better prepare our communities for the future of work. And this is where Representative Ceresi's background, which includes a pretty extensive focus on trade and skill-based education, can be really important to the dialogue. So that's all I got to say. Here's Rep. Joe Ceresi from the great state of Pennsylvania. Let's bring it in. Workforce development is a huge issue that we need to take on as a nation right now. And I'm part of the National Infrastructure Bank. I don't know if you heard of the NIB movement to start the Fifth National Bank of America. Um, started with Hamilton and last was with Roosevelt. And the idea is to take $5 trillion and put it into this bank where municipalities, boroughs, cities can borrow from it at a 2% interest rate and do all your municipal projects, all your infrastructure projects uh, in transportation, water, uh, electrical. But the issue we have is, do we have the workforce to be able to do those projects? So like the WPA after World War II, where we had to take all the women went to the workplace for the first time in masses, we trained that workforce. We had a whole new workforce that came in. It's the same movement we have right now. Um, I was the president of, of the school board where I lived for a while. And then I sat as the chair of the vocational school, uh, the career and technical school, as we refer to them now for years, and we were always looking to make sure that we were ahead of the curve. And I think what happened over the last, I'd say 15 years, is there's been a change in philosophy in the way that we think about the future of our, our educational, our students, where they're going. The biggest change is that my generation, well, I'm 50, my parents were laborers in a factory. Um, they didn't have, a, my father was first generation American, so they didn't graduate high school. They went right to work. And he was a union shop steward, my father, in a company on Long Island called Paul Corporation his whole life. But he wanted me to go to college. So I didn't have to be a laborer, which was great. So a whole generation all went off to college. And we were all going to do the white collar job. What happened to the blue collar jobs? They disappeared. You can't find a, a real great, someone who works on plumbing, electrical, um, HVAC. And those jobs paid today more than the white collar jobs. But we don't train them because there was a stigma on my generation of, oh, you're going to be a laborer. Well, you know what? We all should have been laborers because the money in, in that area is huge. You have great paying union jobs with great benefits that look out for their employees. Um, 
And as you talk about uh, people coming back into the workforce and retraining them, we need to show them that there's a great way for you to have a long-term career. And I've worked in the arts my whole life before I came to the State House. So like Madison Square Garden, I was at a venue in Philadelphia called the Kimmel Center. We don't have people who are riggers and lighting engineers and sound engineers. It's like they're, they're grasping, looking for these people because they're not being trained as much on it. Those jobs can pay anywhere from 25 to 125 to $200 an hour. Like, a, uh, I hate to say plumber, because I don't mean it like, you know, oh, it's just a plumber. I can't find a plumber here at my house. And when they do come, it's 200 bucks for them to walk in before they even do anything. Um, so as a, as a state representative, the one thing we've been talking a lot about, and our governor has been great about this here in Pennsylvania, is to support workforce development. And with the unemployment rate being what it is, we're trying to retool the thought process of people to say, look, you may have worked in this industry, but start to look over here at this industry. I have an employee who works for me who retired from the electrical union, Pam Hacker, and I talk about Pam a lot. 32 years, she was an electrician. For a woman to be in the electrical industry, 32, it's like 33 years ago now, 34, she's been with me almost three years. That was a big deal. We have to show that it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, whether you're older or younger, these are great jobs that we need people in because can you find a shoe repair person anymore? Can, you know, all these niche things, we can't find anyone to do it any longer. Um, so I, I may have spoken a little bit too long and I apologize, I'll get to your question, but I just wanted to give you that quick overview. Long yeah, overview. yeah, no, it, it, it's a great point. How do we, it's not like we haven't had a lack of job training programs though across the across the country at the state or the federal level so we've had programming because why have those roles largely gone without an, why why is why is it that we overeducated in the wrong areas i mean too many people have been going to a four-year college no and i don't want to take away from college at all i i think that we didn't educate at a younger age, we didn't show the career paths as much as we could have. And, and, and as a school board member, we invested in, we, we would show them at high school, but we really have to start like around sixth grade and start showing these industries and what they really mean. I mean, I had no idea what, a, you know, what a, like an underwater welder, you know how much money they make? They're like two to 300,000 a year, some of them make. Now, granted, you're underwater welding, with whatever's above you, like with the bridges and all, but holy moly, they make more than doctors make in some areas. So we, we made it where there was a stigma when you went for that type of, of work or when, when we were kids, it was like, oh, you're doing that. There is no more stigma. Now you want to say, you got to do this because it's a great paying job, great benefits. It's a sustained income. That's never going away. We'll always need a plumber, an electrician, a mechanic, you know, a contractor, a, a carpenter. And especially now, we can't find those people anymore because there's not enough. And everybody through COVID is doing so much work on their homes that there's not enough people out there to do these jobs anymore. And they can name their price. So I think that's what had happened over time. And the pendulum is swinging back the other way. In, in my work in, um, I'm just, I'm going to speak just to work in the state of New Jersey, the it seems at times like the workforce development programs work so hard for placement 
for people, trying to get people connected to either technical schools or uh, directly into training. There's a job on the other side is obviously a big thing I constantly hear. If there's no job on the other side of the training, it's almost not valued as much. Right. You know, uh, I guess my question is, how, what role, what can government really do locally to make sure that uh, we're successful at connecting people to jobs that are available or connect them to the, accessing the skills for jobs? What, what can government really do and how are they doing? Well, I think the government must support education, must support the whole educational value of, of those type of jobs, and then must offer an option for people to be trained in it at a reasonable price. So if you want to go to trade school and you're out of work two years, you don't have $30,000 to pay to go to that trade school. So we should be able to offer grants for that. Uh, we should be able to work with contractors who need people who have apprentice programs. We should be able to promote our apprentice programs throughout, um, I say the Commonwealth because I'm in Pennsylvania, but throughout the country uh, and, and work to show them that at the end of the day, we need in this area of Pennsylvania, 300 more plumbers, 500 more electricians. So you're being trained and you know when you come out, you got a job. My son's college has a program that they say is 100% placement. And when he started, we went, mm, yeah, right. Yeah, right, he graduates in two months and he's got a job lined up. Um, they worked hard to develop the relationships with the corporations to make sure that every kid that graduates had an opportunity to have a job upon graduation. And that's almost the same thing as a government that we can work with. Um, people need to feel that there's hope also. And you have to show them that there is hope. There are jobs out there. Now, maybe it's a whole career change. You know, I, unfortunately, sometimes that happens. Sometimes an industry dries up and you have to find another industry. But being able to work with the community colleges um, that offer this, I think that we should have more um, technical training at our community colleges to make it more affordable and more in your neighborhood rather than have to go to the big universities for it. So that's something else the government can do. Sure. I talk, I talk to a lot of business owners and minimum wage is coming up as a pretty big talking point around 15 bucks federally. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think about minimum wage and then I think about the long-term unemployed today that exist in the country and the high percent of turnover that occurs, which is one of the highest in the world. Uh, with minimum wage turnover, state of the workforce, I guess, how do you think, how do you think about minimum wage and the skills gap? Is there any, is there any crossover as to, you know, um, the way that skills could impact a business owners changing their perspective. Like if, if people were automatically skilled, would, you know, would business owners not be as concerned about rising minimum wage or? Well, look, the minimum wage, and I, I've said this from my political career, your smaller family owned businesses, I mean, your small businesses, that the whole family works there and it may be a restaurant or a plumbing business or an electrical business, small businesses. If I tell you you got to double your salary, your expenses, it's going to be a cost on them. So what can we do as a government to help them through that? Can we do a three-year plan as minimum wage going up, some of the taxes for them are adjusted 
till it comes back to where it is. We need to give a living wage because if you're in Newark, there's no way on seven, in Pennsylvania, seven and a quarter an hour in our cities, there's no way you're finding a place to live. I mean, it's, it's unrealistic. Um, so minimum wage is always an issue, but minimum wage also, I think, should be somewhat regionalized. Now I'm outside of Philadelphia. We're a suburb of Philadelphia. So it's expensive, Montgomery County is the county I live in. When you get to the middle part of our state, the same house in Montgomery County that may cost 500,000, in that area may cost 250. Cost of living is completely different. So $15 an hour in the city of Philadelphia compared to $15 an hour in the center of the state is night and day. In Philly, you could hardly live. In the center of the state, you may be able to live comfortably. I'm not saying you can't or can't, but I'm just giving an example. So there has to be something looked at that's a little bit more regionalized. Do we need to raise the minimum wage in some areas? Absolutely. Seven and a quarter an hour in Pennsylvania, we can't even compete with everyone who's around us. You in New Jersey is much higher than us. So it's a factor of how we compete. But at the same time, we must give an incentive to the small business. Will it help the workforce? Well, if you have someone who's talented, they're not taking seven and a quarter an hour. Some of them aren't taking 15 either. You're gonna pay 25 if you have to, because they can bring you in business. So I don't know how it affects really the true workforce development side of it, um, other than expects the business's bottom line when you look at just you know apples to apples. Sure, I want to ask you about there's you know so, there's obviously like a social movement that's occurring with a lot of young people today, but it seems like at the same time. Um, getting a perspective around why working in public office is so critical and so important for kind of the next generations coming up. Like, I'd like to ask you first why you ran for office and, and second, you know, any advice you have to either young business leaders or young people who are considering being uh, politically active in their communities in some way, shape or form. I got involved from a young age. Um, as far back as I can remember, when I was at the University of Miami, I alluded to with uh, Congresswoman Shalala. We talked about her. I ran for student body president. I lost. My wife always reminded me how many friends I had. I think 161 votes. Uh, okay, whatever. Um, but I ran because I saw that there was an inequity in the way we were doing things. And I know I was only there because I got a scholarship. We could never afford it. We didn't have the money, but I went on a full ride. And when expenses were going up, I'm like, I, we can't afford any of this. And it's not fair. So when I graduated, I got involved in my community. Um, when we moved here to Pennsylvania, my son at the time was three, so I decided to get on the school board. And I felt it was something to give back. Um, and then to fight for those people who really couldn't fight for themselves or who were afraid to open their mouth to be the voice. I, I come from, like I said, two parents that my mother graduated high school at 65. My father never did. He went to 10th grade. My grandparents all came from Italy. So, you know, I'm only second generation American. So I know what it's like to be in a family that the power was shut off, the water was shut off. You had to ask for, for help at times and they struggled, three kids. Um, so it was important uh, to get involved and give back. The biggest advice I give to young people is get involved, but don't be a one pony issue person. Look at the broader sense and go in with an open mind. If you and I don't agree on something, and I, from your last name, I think we're both Italian, um, right? Yep. Italians tend to have a big argument, and then we all sit at the table and eat dinner together. 
no matter what, someone's yelling at somebody in the house, but you always got your back. I don't care who I just argue with. If you say something against them, I'm coming at you. Um, go in and, and listen to what other people have to say. Go in and, and not get offended right away. Go and understand where they come from, why they're arguing this side of it, and find the common ground. And don't be turned off by the, the polarization that we're seeing right now in politics, because it's up to us to bring this back in, to be able to sit at the table and talk to each other. I love talking to someone who disagrees with me, not to argue with them, because by the time we're done, I guarantee you we can walk away from that table and find commonalities. Now, will we agree to pass this bill? Well, we might not pass that bill, but we can maybe find something in common that we can work with. Um, and again, I bring up my, my heritage because that's the way the family acted. You know, you go at each other and you all love each other, but we would all be high strung about the issue. And, you know, I see that the younger generations, they're, they're like this in some of the things. And you have to be more open-minded and listen, look, I'm outside of Philly. The middle part of our state is like upstate New York is like anywhere. It's more rural. They have a whole different environment than we have outside of a, a city. Newark is totally different than what it is at the Jersey Shore. Um, so when their representatives argue a point, it's because that's the community they live in. So you have to hear it. I, I believe that we should do a program where we exchange districts for a week and we get to see you know, how somebody else is. And when we were on the school board, we did, we called it the board goes back to school to see what goes on. Cause I've been out of school forever. Um, and superintendent, our superintendent went back in the classroom with teach to see what the teachers are going with. Same thing as representatives. Let me go into that district that's completely different than mine. And their rep comes to my district and I go to theirs and understand them uh, better. So I hope that we have a generation behind me that really wants to get involved for the right reasons. Um, it, there's hard days to be a politician, uh, you know, and, and the people say, I hate to be called a politician. Well, that's what you are. You're an elected official. Um, people get mad at you for everything and other people praise you. And uh, you didn't get into this job to be praised or to, you know, be yelled at. You got it to do the right thing. And, and sometimes it's, it's a hard decision. Yeah, I could, and I, I could to totally know resonates the around the around the table and we, we still argued a little bit around the table too right you know but that was maybe <laughs> well you know what Sam is it's fine I always say that it's fine to have that discussion it, I tend to raise my voice because I came from that type of family that we always raise that voice but it's like the dog with the bark and then comes and brushes up against you and wants you to pet him um I want to have that where we can find the resolve together you know totally. I'm going to have your back, even if I disagree with you. If you're true to your beliefs, I'm with you 100%. If you're playing a game, well, that's a different story. But if you really believe it, I can support you, even if I don't want, you know, I may not support the issue, but I can support your point of view. I don't have to vote for it, but I understand it. Sure. I got one last question. Uh, and thanks for the time. It, a lot of talk about future of work. It's become a mainstream topic it usually is often talked about by you know followed by a discussion around robots that are going to you know swing in and take everybody's jobs it seems like that's where most of the conversation revolves around so i'd like to ask what your what your hope is 
for the future of work as an elected official, as someone who sat on school boards, been so involved in education uh, and a leader uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, what is your hope for the future of work? My hope is that we continue to look at growing uh, environments and in markets where we didn't see before. Um, robots are just the next phase of, of the workforce. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to replace humans everywhere we go. Um, we can go back 100 years ago and look at where we are today. You know, when, how, how do we do that? I mean, people were in manufacturing and then they all found a way, but we have to look at emerging markets. We have to support the entrepreneur and the idea. Uh, that's how we grow as a nation. Where do we go from here? Look at the car industry is about to do a massive change to all, all of electric. What does that mean? Well, there's going to be a ton of new businesses that come out of that. You're not going to be able to have robots for You'd still need people and innovation. So we have to support innovation. The incubator centers, as they call them, those are extremely important um, for where we go as a nation to support those incubators. Some of the best ideas came out of somebody doing something and, you know, what is it? Velcro came from the space industry. Look at how it changed the face of everything that we do. Um, so we, we just need to look at where the workforce is going. Will robots take some jobs? Yeah, I, I mean, with the production line, they took jobs, um, but there'll still always be a human touch. There'll be things that robots can't do and shouldn't do. Uh, and as a society, hopefully we don't go there. I always think of the movie Wally, um, where we just, the people just were just sitting in a seat forever and robots did everything for them. And finally everything fell apart and the humans had to come back and do it. You know, so yes, I, I, I think that we just have to keep supporting innovation and looking for what else comes. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You may have a great invention that's coming up soon. I hope you do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Representative Joe Ceresi, I appreciate you taking some time with us. You know, Joe said workforce development is a huge issue that we need to take on as a nation. You know, I think there was a lot of really powerful messages from, from uh, Representative Ceresi uh, in this conversation. Also, his perspective around hope. I mean, you can't help but turn on the TV right now, uh, turn on the radio, listen to podcasts, read the newspaper, you know, browse social media without hearing what's wrong with everything. What's wrong with workers? What's wrong with companies? Representative Suresh said people need to feel that there's hope and that there are jobs out there for them. I think this is a really important point because if you're a worker looking for work, you're on the sidelines, you're part of the tens of millions of hidden workers that are on the sidelines who want to jump back in and you turn on the news. I mean, I don't, I just don't understand how you can be excited uh, to get back uh, into the workforce, uh, even if you want to, given the the way that workers are sometimes painted. And I think that's an important point for recruiters. It's an important point for companies. It's an important point for media. It's an important point for uh, all of us to understand that uh, providing hope to workers, uh, that there are opportunities for them, will create an environment where our best talent rises uh, and our best talent shows up. Another final point from Rep Ceresi, which I think we all could take something away from, he mentioned about how when he approaches a room, how he goes in and understands uh, where the other side comes from, tries to understand why they're arguing their side of it, and then he works to find common ground. I don't think I need to say any more on that one, Jaime, but I think we all could take something away from that one. 
So that's all for this episode of Bring It In. Now don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work.